Part three, chapter eight of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Secret City by U. Walpole. Part three, chapter eight. And yet, with all our worries thick upon us, it was quite impossible to resist the sweetness and charm and mystery of that service. I think that perhaps it is true, as many have said, that people did not crowd to the churches on that Easter as they had earlier ones, but our church was a small one, and it seemed to us to be crammed. We stumbled up the dark steps and found ourselves at the far end of the very narrow nave. At the other end there was a pool of soft golden light which dark figures were bathed mysteriously. At the very moment of our entering, the procession was passing down the nave on its way round the outside of the church to look for the body of our Lord. Down the nave they came, the people standing on either side to let them pass, and then many of them falling in behind. Everyone carried a lighted candle. First there were the singers, then men carrying the colored banners, then the priest in stiff, gorgeous raiment, then officials and dignitaries, finally the crowd. The singing, the forest of lighted candles, the sudden opening of the black door, and the blowing in of the cold night wind, the passing of the voices out into the air, the soft dying away of the singing, and then the hushed expectation of awaiting for the return. All this had in it something so elemental, so simple, and so true to the very heart of the mystery of life that all trouble and sorrow fell away, and one was at peace. How strange was that expectation! We knew so very well what the word must be. We could tell exactly the moment of the knock on the door, the deep sound of the priest's voice, the embracings and dropping of wax over everyone's clothes that would follow it, and yet every year it was the same. There was truth in it. There was some deep response to the human dependence, some whispered promise of a future good. We waited there, our hearts beating, crowded against the dark walls. It was a very democratic assembly. Bourgeoisie, workmen, soldiers, officers, women in evening dress, and peasant women with shawls over their heads. No one spoke or whispered. Suddenly there was a knock. The door was open. The priest stood there in his crimson and gold. Christ is risen, he cried, his voice vibrating as though he had indeed, but just now, out there in the dark and wind, made the great discovery. He is risen indeed, came the reply from us all. Markovitch embraced me. Let us go, he whispered. I can't bear it somehow tonight. We went out. Everywhere the bells were ringing. The wonderful deep boom of St. Isaac's, and then all the other bells, jangling, singing, crying, chattering, answering from all over Petrograd. From the other side of the Neva came the report of the guns and the fainter, more distant echo of the guns near the sea. I could hear it behind all the incessant chuck, 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 of the ice colliding on the river. It was very cold, and we hurried back to Angliski Prospect. Markovitch was quite silent all the way. When we arrived, we found Vera and Uncle Ivan and Semyonov waiting for us. Bohen was with friends. On the table was the paska, a sweet paste made of eggs and cream, curds and sugar, a huge ham, a large cake or rather sweet bread called kulik a big bowl full of Easter eggs, as many colored as the rainbow. This would be the fare during the whole week, as there was to be no cooking until the following Saturday. Very tired of the ham and eggs one became before that day. There was also wine. 
some of Senyanov's gifts, I supposed, and a tiny bottle of vodka. We were not a very cheerful company. Uncle Ivan, who was really distinguished by his complete inability to perceive what was going on under his nose, was happy, and ate a great deal of the ham, and certainly more of the pasca than was good for him. I do not know who was responsible for the final incident, Semyonov perhaps, but I have often wondered whether some word or other of mine precipitated it. We had finished our meal and were sitting quietly together, each occupied with his own thoughts. I had noticed that Markovitch had been drinking a great deal. I was just thinking it was time for me to go when I heard Semyonov say, Well, what do you think of your revolution now, Nicholas? What do you mean my revolution? he asked. The strange thing on looking back is that the whole of this scene seems to me to have passed in a whisper, as though we were all terrified of somebody. Well, do you remember how you talked to me about the saving of the world and all the rest of it that this was going to be? Doesn't seem to be quite turning out that way, does it, from all one hears? A good deal of quarreling, isn't there? And what about the army? Breaking up a bit, isn't it? Don't, Uncle Alexei, I heard Vera whisper. What I said I still believe, Nicholas answered very quietly. Leave Russia alone, Alexei, and leave me alone, too. I'm not touching you, Nicholas, Semyonov answered, laughing softly. Yes, you are. You know that you are. I'm not angry. Not yet. But it's unwise of you. Unwise. Unwise? How? Never mind. Below the silent pools there lie hidden many devils. Leave me alone. You are our guest. Indeed, Nicholas, said Semyonov, still laughing. I mean you no harm. Ask our friend Dorwood here whether I ever mean anyone any harm. He will, I'm sure, give me the best of characters. No, no harm, perhaps, but still you tease me. I am a fool to mind, but then I am a fool. Everyone knows it. All the time he was looking with his pathetic eyes in his pale face at Vera. Vera said again, very low, almost in a whisper, Uncle Alexei, please. But really, Nicholas, Semyonov went on, you underrate yourself. You do indeed. Nobody thinks you a fool. I think you are a very lucky man. With your talents, talents, said Nicholas softly, looking at Vera. I have no talents. And Vera's love for you, went on Semyonov. Ah, that is over, Nicholas said, so low that I scarcely heard it. I do not know what then exactly happened. I think that Vera put out her hand to cover Nicholas's. At any rate, I saw him draw his away, very gently. It lay on the table, and the only sound beside the voices was the tiny rattle of his nails as his hand trembled against the woodwork. Vera said something that I did not catch. No, Nicholas said, no, we must be true with one another, Vera. I have been drinking too much wine. My head is aching, and Perhaps my words are not very clear, but it gives me courage to say what I have in my mind. I haven't thought out yet what we must do. Perhaps you can help me, but I must tell you that I saw everything that happened here on that Thursday afternoon in the week of the revolution. Vera made a little movement of distress. Yes, you didn't know, but I was in my room, where Alexei sleeps now, you know. I couldn't help seeing. I'm very sorry. No, Nicholas, I'm very glad, Vera answered quietly. I would have told you in any case. I should have told you before. I love him, and he loves me, just as you saw. 
i would like ivan andreyevich and uncle ivan and everyone to know there is nothing to conceal i have never loved anyone before and i am not ashamed of loving someone now it doesn't alter our life nicholas i care for you just as i did care and i will do just as you tell me i will never see him again if that's what you wish but i shall always love him ah vera you are cruel nicholas gave a little cry like a hurt animal then he went away from us standing for a moment looking at us we'll have to consider what we must do i don't know i can't think tonight and you alexey you leave me alone he went stumbling away towards his bedroom vera said nothing to any of us she got up slowly looked about her for a moment as though she were bewildered by the light and then went after nicholas i turned to semyonov you'd better go back to your own place i said not yet thank you he answered smiling End of part three, chapter eight.